welcome back to the Going Up Cast, your weekly feel-good podcast, where this week I talk about a lot of things that didn't make me feel good. That's right, we're going off script. This episode is all about me going rogue and lamb-blasting shit that I didn't enjoy. I talk about some comic books that I did enjoy. I talk about Disney's latest animated movie, Encanto, which I thought sucked. I talk about the Harry Potter reunion special on HBO Max, which I thought sucked. And I talk about Eternals, which was terrible. So if you want to listen to an hour of me shitting on things, then welcome to this episode of the podcast. But if you were wondering what my review was for all of those things I just talked about, I just gave it to you. I just gave you the fucking spark notes. They're all bad. They're all bad in their own unique way. So, you know, we'll, we'll get into that a little on in this later in this podcast. In other news, uh, we are fast approaching or are about to approach, like this week, Kyoshi uh, comes to an end um, for the audiobooks. I have a special surprise uh, to go up the day after Kyoshi ends. Uh, I'm going to be uploading an entire book um, all in one go. And since, you know, everybody's just chomping at the bit to know what it is, um, I'll tell you right now that I read the first Animorph book. Um, I will be uploading that in its entirety. Um, mostly because there are 27 chapters in the first Animorph book, and not one chapter was longer than 15 minutes long. So I'm not going to torture everybody for a month by uploading six-minute chapters of Animorphs. Um, it is not worth that. So I'll just upload the entire book at once. Um, for those diehard Animorph fans who have just been fucking obliterating my inbox with requests for me to read Animorphs, I'm like, I get no messages a day about it. So, I'm glad that I can satisfy just that ravenous crowd. Um, after that, we start reading The Witcher. Uh, I started reading book, book one, or at least the book that inspired the first season of The Witcher, The Last Wish. I don't know if that's actually the first book in the series, um, but we start that afterwards. Um, and that one uh, has an interesting style to it, where there's like a really short chapter followed by an incredibly long chapter. Um, I'm not sure how I'm going to upload that just yet. If I'm going to stick to a chapter a day, or if I'm going to do two a day, um, we'll, we'll play it by ear and see how it goes. But that's what follows, um, Animorphs. And, uh, I have not figured out what I'm reading after The Witcher. But I'll let you know. Um, and outside of that, uh, things are, things are good. Um, it took 60 hours for me to recover from the COVID booster shot. The reason I'm mentioning that is because my Harry Potter review was while I was sick um, from the COVID booster shot. And I, I did eventually recover from the COVID booster shot, but at my worst, I had a fever of 102.7 degrees and I was in a bad space. Um, I did not react well to that booster shot. It was, it was miserable, but I'm feeling okay now. Um, however, I did just finish watching The Eternals like 30 seconds ago. And I'm still mad about that movie. So, but let's hear what I have to say about it in this fucking podcast. Enjoy. So, it turns out that with the Mighty Nines uh, campaign of Critical Role over and done with, they are doing a lot of origin comic books. Um, or as I like to call them, the most publicly available... D&D character backstory you could find. 
I mean, there's probably like some novels or something like that, like Strid or Strix or whatever the fuck it was called. Um, Strid? Strid? Fucking R.A. Salvatore? What the hell? Was, what did he write? Strix? I can't remember. Anyway, I read um, Jester Lavore's origin comic from Dark Horse. Uh, it was written by a bunch of people. Uh, I think it probably took maybe seven minutes to read. It's very short. Um, it was good. The art in it is, is very good. I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. I liked all the Critical Role comic books um, that I've read so far. I basically wait for them to come out volumed um, or omnibust instead of reading them as individuals because I'm a patient man and that's just my preference. Um, plus, I don't want a bunch of, like, loose comic books just all over the fucking place. I'd rather have, like, a, a fucking bound book. And I slapped that on there. But I thought that was pretty good. Um, and it tells the story of Jester's life before the Mighty Nine. Um, probably a couple of months before the Mighty Nine, if I'm honest with you. Um, it doesn't quite co cover how she gets from Nicodronus to fucking Trostenwald, where the campaign begins. Um, or Allfield, I can't remember. I think it's Trostenwald. Um, doesn't quite cover that that expanse, but it's like, you know, her home life, basically, and some other key elements in her backstory um, to kind of flesh out the character. And I know others are in the works. I think quite a few of them come out this year. Um, and naturally, like, like most things, those take time to make. So that is the extent of, of where we're at on that front. Um, and I know it's been a while since I've talked about season three of Critical Role. Um, I'm in the process of getting caught up. Um, I kind of fell off the bandwagon there a little bit. Uh, well, with the holidays and stuff like that, I had other things going on. Um, that being said, I am an episode and a half behind. So basically, um, right up until their, their holiday break, um... And hopefully, I mean, who knows? Maybe by the, in this very podcast, I will talk about the most recent episode, but um, I'm still, I'm still playing catch up. And to be perfectly honest, not a whole lot of like really interesting things are happening. Um, it's very early D&D &D campaign stuff. Um, a lot of side quests, nothing too like mind blowing at this point. It's just entertaining. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm not disliking it. I'm just saying that, you know, if you're here for, for recaps from me, you're not missing out on much. Um, but I do uh, love the the new intro song that they released um, on episode seven, I want to say. Um, I thought that was very good. And it's very well put together. So that was a, so that was nice. I liked that. So, And I got to be honest with the Jester comic book. It was nice to be able to crank out a comic in like no time at all. While all these fucking Spider-Man comics are just taking a while to read um there and i i vastly think i i think the critical role comics are a lot better than early spider-man comics um and i'll just keep talking because this is kind of a comic booky zone um with the early spider-man comics i've read like 26 of them 27 i can't remember almost 30 of amazing spider-man and what I look for in any sort of media are fleshed out, well-rounded, multi-dimensional characters. That's like, that's the number one thing I look for. You know, 
I want you to give me good characters. If it's a really good script with bad characters, I'm not gonna like it as much as really good characters with a bad script. You know, like that, that I connect with them more. And early Spider-Man is very much, here are some characters with strong character traits that is their whole personality. J. Jonah Jameson is all about fucking discrediting Spider-Man. And that's basically it. He's a he's a fairly selfish individual who looks out for number one, wants to bring Spider-Man down for some reason. We don't really know why he wants to bring Spider-Man down. He just does. He thinks he's a menace and a, and a threat to society. But we don't know exactly why he personally feels that way. Then you got Peter Parker, who's Spider-Man. We don't know why he's Spider-Man. Comic books haven't told me yet. I know why he's Spider-Man, but because of other things, not because of the comic books. He's also Peter Parker. He goes to school and he likes science. Why does he like science? That's this. This is the difference between a character trait character and a character with depth. You don't know the whys. You just know that they do. He likes Betty Brant, but why? We don't know. He doesn't like Liz Allen, but why? We don't know. He doesn't get along with Fat Flash Thompson. Why? Well, Flash Thompson says mean things to him all the time. Well, why does Flash Thompson not like Peter Parker? We don't know. That's that's the problem with with these with these comic books. It's all it's all um uh, <laughs> form and no function. Like it looks pretty decent and it's all very surface level stuff. You're basically having you're a skipping stone across the surface of of what the Spider-Man comics can be. We're not there yet. Nothing nothing in depth has really happened. Sure there's been a couple of moments of like a panel or two where Peter will be like, "Oh man, I need to go, you know, stop the goblin from bombing downtown." But J. Jonah Jameson's gonna be there because he wants me to take pictures. How will I be in two places at once? Or Aunt May will get all up inside his fucking business for no reason. She is a complete tool. Aunt May can't leave well enough alone. God, I hate that whole fucking meddling guardian shit. Like, if, like, my experience with Spider Man through Sam Raimi and Amazing Spider Man and the current MCU Spider Man, I feel like the characters got better and better with each subsequent telling. Like, they figured out what worked and what didn't when it came to representing Peter. They figured out what worked and what didn't when representing, like, Peter's love interest. Whether that's Mary Jane, whether that's Gwen Stacy, whether that's Michelle Jones. And they figured out what worked with Aunt May, which was to make her younger. <laughs> they went from decrepit old whatever the fuck her name was from the Sam Raimi movies to decrepit old whatever the fuck her name was in the Amazing Spider-Man movies to Marissa Tomei. And Marissa Tomei, I feel like, is much more relatable and realistic in terms of who's watching Spider-Man. Like, in my head, Aunt May in the first two series of Spider-Man movies should be called Great Aunt May. Like, the, the age differentiation doesn't make any sense when she's that fucking old. Because aunt implies sister to your goddamn parents one of them right doesn't matter who but aunt and uncle implies sibling and they're ancient so they should be great aunt whatever but perhaps i'm being ageist but yeah i feel like 
modern interpretations of Spider-Man, at least from my experience of going back to the beginning, are superior to the original stuff that laid out. Stan Lee and Steve Ditko were amazingly creative when it came to designing characters and showing what they looked like. But when it came to writing like stories with like heart and emotional depth, I'm not getting there yet. But perhaps this is still like laying down the foundations and they'll get into more of those later on. And then if that's the case, then I'm gonna treat this like a fucking show, in which case, I'm not a big fan of like, oh yeah, Spider-Man gets really good like 120 issues in. I'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? 120 issues? And in case you don't know, issue 121 of The Amazing Spider-Man is when Gwen Stacy kicks the bucket. So, and that was a big moment in comic books. The, that was like that was like a turning point when it was like, oh, shit's gonna stick and happen. And we have to deal with this now. Um, but it's, it's kind of, it's, I mean... Part of me kind of wants to jump around a little bit. Because um, I feel like what I want out of the me reading these comic books, I'm not going to get for like a hundred something additional issues. And my time is limited. So I don't I don't really want to sit there and read all of these fucking comics. I think I'm going to start jumping around a little bit because I got to be honest. These, these non-characters are really starting to bug me. Um, and it's not fun it was fun in the beginning when it's like oh look here's doc ock or whatever but i had more fun reading the first spider gwen comic from 2015 than i have reading all of amazing spider-man so far because that comic had an emotional center right out the gate peter became the lizard and died fighting spider gwen and like that's that's the the catalyst for that whole fucking line of comics is dealing with that shit. And it's emotionally heavy, and the characters are complicated and complex, and I love that shit. It's good stuff. Like, you, I know more about Gwen's dad in that comic than I know about Peter Parker in the Amazing Spider-Man series. They're not, they're not that good. In my opinion, you know. But then again, I've only read comic books from, like, my time. Comic books that came out within my lifetime. This is the first time I've ever read a comic book where I went back before to, like, the origin of this shit. So, that's kind of where I'm at with, with all that stuff. Comic books are fun. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I tend to only talk about things that I'm either really passionate about or that I think are good. I tend to avoid things that I don't like because this thing is literally called the Going Up Cast, and it's a, it's supposed to be things that can make you happy. Ideally, that's the goal, right? However, I did spend an unreasonable amount of time talking about all of the Disney animated movies, um, and so I would be remiss if I did not talk about Encanto, regardless of my personal feelings for it. So let's talk about Encanto. It came out on Disney Plus. For free, kind of out of nowhere. It actually came out, I believe, on Christmas Day, I want to say. Or Christmas Eve. It was around Christmas. Um, and at the time, I was like, oh, that's awesome. You know, um, it's always been a, a tradition of sorts in my family that on Christmas Day, you know, we'd open, we'd eat breakfast, we'd open presents, and then we'd go see a movie. There's almost always a movie that comes out around Christmas, and chances are we'd go to the theaters and do that. Now, obviously, because of the pandemic, that wasn't going to happen. Um, that being said, not three days after Christmas, I was in the theater seeing the new Spider-Man movie. 
Um, and if, um, you know, if I was younger and my all my family still lived in the same house, chances are we probably would have gone to go see Spider-Man. Um, and not Encanto. However, Encanto came out in Disney+, Plus, so that seemed like the perfect movie to do during Christmas. And then, obviously, like, fucking COVID crap happened and we couldn't do Christmas the way we normally do Christmas. So I saw Encanto again later. Is it fucking snowing again? It is, isn't it? It's fucking sticking to things, isn't it? Fucking goddammit. So I saw Encanto at some point. Um, I can't remember what day. Uh, and it was fine. It's not bad. It's very average. It's incredibly average. Um, except in the visuals department. Visually, the movie is a feast for the eyes. It is, it, it is an animated spectacle. It's a gorgeously animated film. It's just really pretty to look at. It is all form and no and no substance. All style, no substance. It's it is purely nice to look at, but what it's saying to you is not very good. Um essentially it's about this magic family who ran away from bandits. Like the grandma and grandpa ran away from bandits. And even though they were amongst a huge fucking crowd of people that you don't know about until the end of the movie. The grandpa decides, hey, I'm going to stand here and get myself killed for no reason so you guys can survive, maybe. The grandpa has no reason to suspect that his sacrifice will protect the rest of the village. There is nothing to support that idea. And if it wasn't for a fucking magic candle that comes out of nowhere and gets no explanation besides, quote, it's a miracle, they all would have died. But they don't because of bullshit magic candles. Bullshit magic candle builds a fucking town and summons mountains out of the earth to protect this one village of people from, like, five dudes on horseback. And not only that, it gives the grandma and everybody the grandma is related to because grandma's got three kids with her, they all get superpowers. What kind of superpowers? Well, this one's really strong, and this one's emotions control the weather, and, and that one talks to animals. And then there's this one black sheep kid. We don't talk about her. She didn't get a fucking miracle. Why didn't she get a miracle? Because grandma's a fucking bitch. That's why she didn't get a fucking miracle. But anyway, she's, she was real happy to be a part of the magic family because she's like, yeah, I, I'm not special, but my family is. And she sings a song about it. And Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote all these songs. But I feel like he wrote these songs at gunpoint because they're not good songs. He is capable of writing incredible music. As Hamilton proved. As Moana proved. And sometimes th his stuff just isn't the best. That's the problem with having him write, like, everything. Eventually, he's not going to do a very good job. And Encanto is, is proof of that. Um, I don't I don't think the songs in that movie are very good i also don't think the framing of the songs in this movie are very good characters will walk in and you'll you'll know a song's coming on because it's like main character whose name i've forgotten fucking what the hell is her name it's i mean the last name is madrigal but what the fuck was her name oh my god it doesn't even matter main character walks into a room with other side character it's only the two of them in that room which means that side character is about to sing a stupid song about themselves um, and this movie has a moral that you could see a mile away. Wait, 
I have superpowers, but I'm not my superpower. I'm me. I'm special because I'm a person that just so happens to have superpowers. Oh my God. We're, we're a, a superpowered family, but the real power we had was our family. That's the lesson of the fucking movie. And long story short, they eventually get there through all of grandma's meddling bullshit. And she's basically the villain as much as this movie has a villain. It doesn't really. The true antagonistic force, I guess, of this fucking movie is like not understanding how their magic works. I don't fucking know. But once grandma learns her lesson that family is the real magic, um, the town like uh, also their house explodes and they all lose their powers, right? And they're like, and that's when they discover the family's the real magic. And then the family and the town all get back together to rebuild the house, and it's this big, you know, unifying moment. But then as soon as they fucking put the doorknob in the house, they all get their powers back, which immediately undercuts the message of the movie. I would have liked this movie a lot more if it ended without them having superpowers. That would have been great, because the lesson would have fucking stuck. You know, they just learned. That they don't need powers to be a, a happy family. And it should have stayed that way. But it... You gave them their powers back. And now they don't have to learn jack shit. They've just gone back to having superpowers. Especially because the mountains are open. So there's no reason for them to have the powers anymore. I guess the candle could be argued to like protect the town. That's the point of the magic powers. But the mountains that literally encased the town did a pretty fucking good job of that. There's no instance whatsoever of people attacking the village and being stopped by the superpowered family. They the the only time we ever really see them using their powers to help the village is for random dumb bullshit like, "Hey, my donkey's got loose. How about we send fucking She-Hulk to go collect him so I don't have to spend a day and a half going around with a rope?" If you had a scene of like bandits attacking the village and the family protecting them like, "Oh, I don't know, a superpowered family would want to do," then it would make sense. But there's no reason for them to have powers. None whatsoever. It adds like nothing to the plot. You could have done this with personalities rather than with powers. There was no reason for them to have powers. Magic did not need to be in this story whatsoever. Probably would have been improved by it. But then it wouldn't have been a fucking Disney movie. It just would have been like a fairly intense family drama, which I probably would have preferred. But as it is, it's an incredibly predictable, badly written story with poor pacing. Like, badly im put songs that are also not great songs plot elements that don't make any sense a fairly nonsensical like beginning middle and end the, the structure of the movie isn't great either and it's it ends pretty much as it starts they're just not assholes to each other anymore that's that's it um and that's i just i didn't like it Disney has not made a good animated movie in a while. Exactly how long? Let's find out. Animated movies. List. Alright, let's let's go to all right, Wikipedia. When was the last time Disney made a good animated movie? Start at the top and work our way backwards. It looks like well. <laughs> looks like Soul. I'm gonna no, that's technically Pixar. I want I want like pure Disney. 
Pure Disney? Looks like Frozen 2 was, was the last one. Because Luca was pretty okay. Soul was phenomenal, but it's Pixar, so I don't really give Disney credit for that. I'm going to say Frozen 2. That was the last mainline, really, really, really good Disney movie, as far as I'm concerned. If you want to go back even further, maybe you're not a Frozen fan. All right, let's go back even further. No, 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 no. Pixar, Pixar, Pixar. Moana. Moana was pretty fucking good. 2016. It's been, it's been five fucking years since Disney made a really good movie. If you're not a big Frozen fan, if you are a big Frozen fan, it's been three. Um, but Christ on a monkey basket. What, what do they have like coming up? That's what I want to see. There's also a movie on here that I haven't even seen yet called Wrong Gone Wrong or something like that. Let's let me hold on. What what are you working on next, Disney? What what do you something called Strange World? Great. I I bet it's gonna be awesome. I bet Disney's track record has been really good lately. I bet they're gonna do a really good job with this one. That's gonna be it's gonna be great. There's already oh there's a fucking 1999 sci-fi show called Strange World. Um here's a here's a variety thing. It's got a Thanksgiving release. Looks like a looks like fucking Avatar with people in it. Great. I I can't wait. You know, I don't think Disney has ever been known truly known as a studio that made good movies, like. Studio Ghibli is a studio that's known for making good movies. And when it has a misstep, it's, it is an anomaly, not the norm. Pixar, in the early days, was also that. They were a studio known for making good movies, and then they had, a couple of, they had too many missteps, as far as I'm concerned. And now they're just like Disney. Disney has made too many movies of middling to poor quality for them to be considered a studio that has made good films. And sadly, the ones that excel are anomalies and not the norm, as far as I'm concerned. And the fact that Encanto got a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes when I think it has serious structural problems to make it a bad movie by default. Like, by my ranking scale, right? If you're not familiar, this is how I always rank movies. If your movie technically succeeds on a fundamental level, but doesn't do anything beyond that then you get a five like that's that's my benchmark everything is bounced around a five a perfectly okay movie that isn't shitty and isn't great you get a five so that's that's my default every movie starts at a five when i hit play on a movie i've never seen before we start at a five if there are things that i think are awesome like the movie's animated really well and the music's amazing and the performances are great and the and the story is really good and i you know maybe it makes me cry then you get additional points when you when you start to fail fundamentally on things that a movie needs in order to be good then you start losing points and Kanto probably would get like a 2 out of 10 for me it's not good um it gets those 2 points due to the visuals and the fact that it is about Disney's done this a lot lately but the the cultural focus of Encanto is Colombia and I think that's great. I love when, when Disney is representing other cultures. If I was Colombian, I would be fucking pissed that this was my fucking representation movie because this movie sucks. And I'm sure, like, I'd be furious personally if this was me, but, you know, whatever. You know, that's, that's just my opinion. I did not, I did not like this movie at all. 
Um, and I wouldn't really recommend it. So this is why I don't talk about things I don't like on the podcast because I just get angry. <laughs> it just makes me mad. Like that's not that's not the point of the podcast. But I'm sure somebody out there was like, I wonder what what nobody out nobody was thinking what what did I think of Encanto? Not a soul. But I've given it to you anyway. I did not like Encanto. Please skip this movie. Literally go watch anything else. Let it be. There's a reason it came out for free on Disney Plus so early into its theater lifespan. I think it was out in theaters for less than a month before it landed on Disney Plus, And it did that movie no favors. Because it is not good. And I think Disney knew it. Despite how it got rated, it is not a good movie. Also, you guys want a fun fact? Out of the entire box office total of 2021, 30% of it was Marvel movies. 30% of it. Like, I know Spider-Man No Way Home was the highest grossing movie of 2021 without any major competition, but 30% of the of the movie-going market share was controlled by superhero Marvel movies? That is insane to me. That is nonsense. That is terrifying. Like, wow. I mean, I love Marvel movies, but... I don't want to live in a future where the only new movies worth seeing in theaters are Marvel movies. I, I want, like, we need that variety. But the problem is that Disney keeps buying up, like, the other movie-making studios. And if they're not buying them up, it's, and then they make bad movies. Like, who else is, who else is the player in these games, you know? I mean, Sony still makes movies, but they're not very good. That being said, the new Uncharted movie does look pretty good. May or may not have something to do with the fact that Tom Holland is in that movie. May or may not have something to do with the fact that Antonio Banderas is the bad guy. Fucking sign me the hell up. I cannot wait. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast before I have an aneurysm. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, or hell, even any of my stuff, you probably know that I was a pretty big Harry Potter fan back in the day. Arguably one of the biggest. You know, it's it's hard to find people who know or lived as much of that world as, as I did, and then I found out they were doing a HBO reunion special, and I watched it. I just watched it right now, actually. In my, uh, uh, my free time. <laughs> I don't know when else you would watch it. It was, it was pretty good. Um, I felt like they were fairly repetitive. Like, somebody would be like, it really does feel like a family. And then somebody else would chime in and be like, oh yeah, we were so inclusive, and we bonded so well, and you know, it really was like a family. I think it was, you know, we had our Hogwarts family, and then we had our, our family, family, and family, 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 family. Now that I don't mind, now that I mind that so much, but I don't know, it wasn't as insightful as um, some some other reunion specials that I've seen. It wasn't bad. Um, and remember, I'm a jaded old man who can't have. Uh, enjoyment in anything anymore. So don't take my word for it. It was it was good. You know I liked seeing all the all the people again. Um, I liked their little in memoriam thing they did for everybody who passed away. Um, I I enjoyed seeing the sets, even though it really does feel like they just went to Universal Studios, um, which I'm not sure if they did or not. Maybe they just went to like the like the set tour in the in the Warner Brothers lots in England. I'm not sure what they did, but. Yeah, no, it was it was good. Um, 
there weren't any stories that I wasn't aware of, except for Emma Watson debating like leaving the sh- the series halfway through, um, which would have been incredible. Um, not not because like it would have been incredible in that like I wouldn't have been able to comprehend that. You know, you can't recast anybody in these fucking movies. The only character that is recast is Dumbledore, and that's because Richard Harris died. So, you know, everybody else stayed the same, and that's one of the things why these movies worked so damn well. And that's something that the uh, reunion special really focuses on, is that these these characters really grew up making these movies, and, you know, we saw them age and develop as actors and as people, and we're never really going to have that sort of thing ever again, except for maybe Game of Thrones. You got a similar vibe. It's just that Harry Potter was good and Game of Thrones isn't. That's the difference there. So I did enjoy it. Um, it was a little cheesy at times. I feel like a lot of the side actors and characters didn't really get a whole lot of screen time. In fact, I think Professor Quirrell shows up and says one thing like right at the end of the special. And I feel like he kind of got shafted. Um, and then of course there are quite a few people who are still alive who were not a part of the special that probably should have been as far as I'm concerned. But you know, they, they did their, their best with getting folks to come back. Um, I'm sure, you know, and it wasn't an issue of money. Some people probably just didn't want to come back. Um, which is totally fine. Um, but no, I thought it was, I thought it was good. You know, it's, it's essentially what I would want from such a thing. Um, but unlike the Friends reunion special, I do not have, like, this deep-seated need to go back and rewatch Harry Potter. Um, because unlike... Well, actually, I remember Friends pretty aggressively. Um, but I feel like that reunion special encouraged this, like, nostalgia within me that the Harry Potter one didn't really do. Because they even mentioned it, like, in the beginning of the special. It hasn't been that long since... It's been 20 years since the first movie came out. Not the last movie. It really hasn't been that long. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. It was good. I didn't mind it. You should go watch it. Moving on to the next thing in the podcast. So a long time ago, I read and reviewed, uh, the first Legend of Korra, uh, graphic novel. Legend of Korra graphic. I can't remember the name of it. That's why I'm looking it up right now. I believe it's Turf Wars. Uh, let's see here. Yes, it is Turf Wars. Yes, I read that, and it was, it was it's a decent story if the art was a little strange. And then I got around to reading Ra- Ruins of the Empire, uh, which is the second uh, Legend of Korra graphic novel. Um, first off, I like this one way better than I did Turf Wars. I love the romantic stuff in Turf Wars, but it wasn't enough to offset the rather mediocre villain and plot of that story, which was very small scale and kind of came out of nowhere, which is, you know, one of the things with graphic novels, uh, inventing new shit. What Ruins of the Empire does really, really well is it brings back a villain from the show, in this case, Kuvira, and introduces a villain that is related to Kuvira that makes perfect sense in the universe. When Kuvira surrendered, a sect of the Earth Empire did not back down and instead continued to do Earth Empire shenanigans. And that is the villain. Um, and, and so in order to bring that person down, Korra needs Kuvira's help. And that's all I'm going to give you for plot details because it's a really good fucking story that I enjoyed immensely 
Um, and I think what really sells this is the art. Because unlike the first comic book, which I felt was more comic booky, this looks like it was drawn by somebody who animated the show. It, it, it's like a wonder one. The characters look right. The art looks amazing in this story. Um, and it really helps. Like, I was hearing, you know, Janet Varney and Zelda Williams in my head as I was reading this this graphic novel. And that was not something that happened with the first one. Um, and I just finished reading uh, The Rise of Kyoshi and the novel. Um, and that book was phenomenal as well. Everything from Avatar The Last Airbender literature is really good. And it's not just in a, you know, I love Avatar, therefore I love this sort of way. The writing is stuff is really good. It's a very high-end graphic novel. Um, and I love it immensely. And I would highly recommend it. Uh, like, this one's probably my favorite. No, this is my favorite graphic novel of Avatar-related content that I've read so far. Um, and I, I've read two Korra and one Aang graphic novel. Um, the rest of them are sitting in my Amazon cart. Um, even though right now I think my favorite Avatar, it's probably still Korra. Um, which probably surprises some people. I absolutely adore Kyoshi, but right now Kyoshi isn't like fully realized yet. She's still an avatar in training as far as my, my headcanon goes. Cause I just finished reading the first book. Um, so she still has a long way to go before she is an avatar. And right now she's basically avatar Batman who she's like, I'll do good no matter how much people hate me. And I'm like, all right, Batman fucking, fucking calm down. But yeah, ruins of the empire was was excellent and i would highly recommend that if you're looking for a fun graphic novel to read next thing in the podcast you know it's a comforting feeling to be able to say i am now fully caught up on the mcu again um and that is it that's the only positive feeling i have from watching the eternals or eternals as the case may be you know unlike a lot of other movies that are bad um you can almost always come up with like uh, a, an individual or entity to kind of point the finger at and be like, it was their fault. You know, like if the studio medals um, or, you know, the acting's whatever, or, you know, there's, there's almost always a reason. But what bums me out about this film is that it went as designed and the, the result is what they intended. This is what they wanted. It just sucked. It's so fucking boring. And I figured out why. Eternals is a DC movie. There's even a bit where it says right here that the goddamn uh, fucking director, uh, Chloe Zhao, uh, was inspired by Zack Snyder's interpretation of Superman and the Man of Steel for the character of Icarus. And that right there should tells me everything I need to know about what the the intention for this film was it's a dc movie it has no like life to it it lacks that marvel charm that we all know and love um and this is like the worst movie to do that for at the same time it's also the best movie to do that for because I didn't care about these characters beforehand, and I super don't care about these characters afterwards. If anything, this movie is like the backdoor pilot for the Black Knight, which is fucking Kit Harrington's character. Um, and that's that's basically it. Um, that like 
And that seems like a much more interesting movie than what we got. So I'm gonna spoil the hell out of this movie because it doesn't matter. This is this is this movie has almost no impact on the grander MCU in the current state. Like none at all. It doesn't matter. Which is kind of surprising given that the focus of the movie are about these 7,000 plus year old synthetic beings known as Eternals. And so the movie starts with these guys showing up to Earth uh, during the time of the Mesopotamian cultural uh, growth about 7,000 years ago or 5,000 BC. If you're keeping track at home. They all have varying abilities. You got Icarus, who's basically Superman, right? Man of Steel influenced, which means he's soulless, has no emotion on his face for like 99% of the movie, except at the end when he cries and goes, I feel so terrible about what I've done. I'm going to fly into the fucking sun and kill myself. Yeah, that's how, that's how that character ends. He just fucking offs himself into the sun. It's great. And you got the main character, who might as well have just been a walking piece of wood for how much emotion they sh fucking showed. I don't think Gemma Chan is a bad actor, um, but they did not do themselves justice in this fucking movie. And they, it just, it was not, it was not a good performance out of them at all. And the kicker is, these two soulless fucking automatons um, and I don't mean the fact that they're synthetic beings. I mean the bad fact that they did a terrible job acting in this movie. Um, they're supposed to have like this super deep love connection that spans 5,000 years. And I have never seen less chemistry between actors in a movie. It's, it's astoundingly terrible. This movie is boring. That's, that's like the kindest thing I can say about it. Like I, when I, I've texted people whilst I've been watching this movie and I'm like, if you see this movie, bring a book. Because there's just going to be huge swaths. I'm like browsing Reddit and doing other things while this movie's going on. And I didn't miss anything. Because there's nothing to miss. Every scene's like about 10 to 15 minutes longer than it's supposed to be. Which means this movie is like, it is a, like a solid two and a half hours long. Which is about two and a half hours longer than it needed to be. Anyway, they show up. And they're, they're, they have this mission to protect the world from the deviants. Who are the deviants? Well, you find out later. But right in the beginning, you, you don't really know. And so they're doing their job. And then, like, it took them 4,500 years. No. 6,500 years. Because they said five centuries ago, we killed the last deviant. At, at, at like, present day. So it took them a long-ass time to get that done. And throughout the movie, there are flashbacks from present day to, like, points in the past. Which is a neat idea, and it helps kind of show the fact that these people helped steer the evolution of humanity for 7,000 years. There's this one guy who's, like, inventing technology, and he's, like, introducing it to the humans. And he's like, look, it's the plow! And we're all just like, wow... Um, his name was Fastos. He was alright. Gilgamesh was also pretty cool, but they killed him off super fucking early on. Um, this movie has the, the ensemble issue, uh, in that there are a lot of characters that the audience has never seen before, and it doesn't do a good enough job of developing any of them to make me care about any of them. I genuinely dislike the vast majority of these characters because... 
the movie didn't do a good enough job giving me reasons why I should care about them. Most of them are almost portrayed as villains. There's that one guy named Druig who fucking uses his brain powers to enslave the minds of people. That's not, that doesn't sound like a good guy. And then you got Ajak, um, which was performed by Selma Hayek. Uh, what I love about this on Wikipedia, it says, Hayek was initially hesitant to work with Marvel, assuming she would have a supporting or grandmother role. I don't know what they did to convince her because that's exactly what Ajak was. Was a supporting or grandmother role. In fact, she also was like the orchestrator of humanity's demise in this. Because the whole thing, right, the the, the Eternals was sent to take care of the Deviants by uh, this guy named Arishem, who's a Celestial. Doesn't matter. The big old space guy. And it turns out that within the core of the planet, there is another Celestial named Tiamat. Which is not the fucking five-headed dragon that we all know and love from Dungeons and Dragons. Nor is it even the platinum dragon from Final Fantasy. No, 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 no. It's a, it's a big old space god. And apparently the Celestial's job was to advance humanity to get the population large enough in order to generate enough energy to give birth to the Celestial. How does that work out? I don't fucking know. It just is what it is. But then Thanos snaps away half the universe and delayed this dude's birth because they're all of a sudden one enough people. But then they fixed it and brought all the people back and has enough people again. It's great. It works out super good. And they have seven days to prevent the emergence of the celestial from the planet. Um, and then their big, their big plan was to have Druig, the guy who controls minds, put him to sleep. Does that sound familiar? Hey. Hey, does that sound familiar? Putting a Celestial to sleep? I'm looking at you, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, it doesn't work out. And then it's our, our, our fucking main character who has all of the personality of a sponge that hasn't been run underwater yet. Turns the guy to marble. Even though he had stuck his hand out of the crust of the earth along with his face and part of his shoulder blade. I'm not a physicist, but I'm pretty fucking certain that that in and of itself would have caused so much planetary destruction like that would have been on a almost a cataclysmic level just that part of his body emerging from the because if he dug all the way up through the crust to get to the the fucking from the core up to you know through the mantle and up into the crust to get that far his body's movement through the planet in and of itself probably would have killed us all. So there is that. Also, I'm a little sick of Earth being like threatened to be destroyed. Um, Cause what bothers me about this movie is it's like in the beginning the, the of the MCU, you could have your suspension of disbelief that like other heroes wouldn't fucking come and help. And in this movie, their argument for why the Eternals didn't help with, like, wars or Thanos was that they were just instructed not to. And that's it. I mean, fucking even, uh, even fucking, um, oh, what the hell is his name? Uatu the Watcher, uh, broke his fucking oath to intervene. But that was when, like, every universe in the existence was threatened. And you guys wouldn't break your oath to stop one planet? Whatever. For being destroyed? And they, and they don't. There's a lot of, there's a lot of fucking inconsistencies 
Like, they spend so much time making bracelets to form the Unimind. And I won't really harp on this movie for doing dumb comic book crap because they're all dumb comic book movies. But for some reason, my my displeasure of watching this movie and being bored the entire time caused the dumb comic book crap to be, like, even more egregious. Um, so when they said Unimind, I just kind of sighed and went, oh, fucking God damn it. Because if the movie was charming, it might have, like, been able to steer that away. But it super fucking isn't. It's, like, super long and boring. It's not sad. It's not depressing. Because those are emotions that I would have felt had the movie stirred those within me. But this movie is so fucking forgettable. And it missed the bill and its mark so egregiously that it's, like... I will never see this again. Ever. If I do another MCU marathon, I'm skipping this fucking movie. Might watch the end credit scenes, and that's that's like fucking it. So, yeah. The special effects in this movie also were not particularly good. Like, Pip the Troll, who shows up in the end credit scene, voiced by Patton Oswalt, fucking finally, um, looks like ass. He doesn't look particularly good. Um, also, I was talking about the bracelets. They spent so much time making those fucking bracelets in order to form the Unimind. And then two characters that didn't have the fucking bracelets joined the Unimind anyway. Because fuck me, I guess. I thought, let's just throw out all consistencies. That level of plot inconsistency happens a lot in this movie. And you can't say that, like, oh, the studio metal, because the director of this fucking movie also helped write this fucking movie. This was their vision, and their vision was bad. So, yeah. It also annoys me that, like, this was a movie of, like, a lot of firsts. The first, uh, deaf, uh, superhero. The first gay superhero in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um... The first Korean superhero. A lot of firsts were had in this movie. It's a very diverse cast, which is awesome. It's just the diverse cast was wasted on a terrible movie. The inc the inclusivity uh, and the diversity of this film does not save it for me in the slightest. Um, it is it is not good. And yeah, like I said, like it has no bearing on the grander MCU at all whatsoever. Except for this vague threat of Erisham coming to destroy the planet. And if he does come back, the fuck are we gonna do? His hand is the size of the earth. He just goes squeesh and we're done. Like, it's not even a contest. Um, and then they also introduced uh, Eros or Star Fox. Uh, the brother of Thanos, who is another Eternal. Um, and he... I don't know anything about Star Fox. Um, but he's from Titan. He's played by Harry Styles, who I think is from One Republic. Is that where you're from? One Direction. Okay, that's where you're from. I don't fucking remember. I'm sure he's gonna do fine. Who who even gives a shit? And of course, they're like, the Eternals will return. And I'm like, could they not? What if they didn't though? What if what if we just pretended this never happened? Because it's so not good. Also, Blade shows up at the end, but you don't even see him. You just hear his voice. Um, Mahershala Ali is going to be playing Blade, and I guess fucking the Black Knight is going to be in that movie too. Um, because we don't have enough stuff going on with like the multiverse 
being destroyed and all that stuff. Now we have to bring in vampires into the MCU. Which, don't get me wrong, I'm excited for that. I think it's going to be rad as hell. But it's just, oh my god. I didn't like Sprite. Sprite's hair really bothered me. Like, it seemed, it like, it looked like a wig. And it probably was a wig. And that was, that was pretty bad. Um, fucking Kinko, uh, Kamal Najani. Uh, Najani is how you pronounce it? I don't know. Didn't do a good job. There were, like, this movie was tonally confusing and inconsistent. It was boring a lot of the times. And there were, like, one or two moments that were actually funny. But it felt like they were from a different movie. It didn't feel like it fit in this thing. It just, I don't know. It's, it is not good. Like, fucking three out of ten. A lot of shit dragged this movie down. The length, the bad performances, the nonsensical plot, the plot holes in the nonsensical plot. Uh, wasted potential was another thing that this, this fucking had. Like, there was one deviant, the deviant crow. And they got Bill Skarsgård to come in and do that guy. I thought that was a really interesting villain. And then he dies, like, super fucking easily. And then that's it. And I was just like, oh, okay, that's fine. This movie has, like, fucking three villains. And they're all fighting for screen time. And they're all, like... I don't know. It just... I don't know. It's This movie's a lot for us to absorb this late in the game. Like, because all this movie does is bring up questions like, where the fuck were you for all this other bullshit? And I mentioned it a little bit earlier, the suspension of disbelief that other heroes don't show up to help. Where the fuck are the rest of them for all of this bullshit? Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings does a pretty good job of explaining why the fuck Shang-Chi didn't help with all the things. It's because he wasn't a hero then. These fuckers don't have that excuse. These guys have been around for thousands of years. And they never show up. And it's bullshit. So, no, I don't think I don't think this worked at all. Um, I, I will feel absolutely nothing when these characters show up again. And it feels like with the Arrow Star Fox thing and that fucking troll, they're trying to go in a Guardians of the Galaxy way, which is made all the more apparent by the fact that, like, for that next chunk of the credits, like, Boston plays. Which was also interesting, because, like, that was the that was the second licensed song that I noticed. I was so bored in this movie, I couldn't even listen to the music. But the movie basically starts with Pink Floyd. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe they're going to try to go to the Guardians route with, like, the music and how that influences the movie. And as far as I am aware, because I'm not watching this fucking movie again, you hear Pink Floyd, and then it's just fucking the movie. And then Boston shows up at the end. And it's like, it just, it just really hammers on that point of tonal inconsistency. Three out of ten. Cannot recommend it. Do not watch this movie. It is absolute trash. You'd, you'd be better off reading the Wikipedia article and then watching the end credit scenes if you really gave a rat's ass about it. Kit Harrington was probably the best part of this movie, but I'm incredibly biased because I absolutely adore that man. Um, and I cannot wait for him to actually be a hero. Especially because this movie either killed off or removed almost every fucking character that this movie introduced. Which is what I mean by saying this movie has no bearing for the MCU because any character that I thought was cool is gone. So who the fuck cares? And they're not real to begin with because they're synthetic beings. So who gives a fuck? God, I wasted two hours of my life watching this. Please do not make the same mistake I did and watch something else. Anything else. Do not watch this movie. It's terrible. 
absolutely terrible. Well, thank you all very much for listening to this week's episode of the Going Upcast. Things designed to make you happy. That's what this podcast is supposed to be about. Fuck the Eternals. I keep calling it the Eternals. It's just called Eternals. Which upsets me, because... You think it's supposed to be called the Eternals, but whatever. Whatever. I'm just... I'm just done. Fuck this movie. Absolutely fuck this movie. God damn. Alright. But yeah, thank you all very much for uh, listening to the Going Up cast. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Um, I'm just so full of rage and hate right now that I can't think straight. And uh, I will see you all next time, where hopefully we'll talk about stuff that actually makes me happy. Have a good one, everyone.